This is Amplify, a podcast for people that want to crush life by learning from the minds of high performers. So take a deep breath in and get ready to become more, live more, and give more. Welcome to the Amplify podcast. It's John Templeton here, and today's incredible guest is Georgia Page. She is an osteo and an athlete and we're going to be diving into the mindset around being an athlete and also how to overcome challenges especially for a female athlete playing a sport like rugby and rugby league that might not have been approved of by certain family members so without further ado Georgia welcome to the show Hello, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. <laughs> that is my pleasure. It's great to have you here. So, look, I think we should get into the nuts and bolts of, of your athletic career. Where did becoming an athlete start for you? Um, it probably started from the age of five. <laughs> I think I could run before I could walk. And my mum threw me into athletics as a kid played all different sports growing through growing up through high school and primary school, played tennis, basketball, um, athletics, touch, a little bit of touch, but not much. And then when I got to university, that's when my rugby started. But I think it was because I was yeah. open playing the contact sport because I'd played so many sports as a kid. I have a variety, you know. And I mean, I've played basketball with you at the courts and I was like, man, she, she, pretty good. She's pretty good. And now I know. I was like, you did that as a kid. So, yeah. Under, I wasn't just randomly came good all of a sudden. I played. <laughs> and so were your parents, were your parents very athletic, sporty types? My mum was very athletic. Dad, athletic on the beers. <laughs> on the beers. Is he Australian? Very Australian, very, very Australian. <laughs> that, um, that makes sense. <laughs> so what was your upbringing like then with a mum that was very athletic? And what's their relationship like? Athletic mum, beer's dad. <laughs> well, mum was the one that drove me around to sports and took me to sport. And I mean, dad showed me that I could have fun outside of playing a sport, obviously. Yeah. But mum that that drove me around and told me you can be whatever you want to be and yeah. play you want to play kind of thing. And so she was a main driver from a young age. And Are they still together? No, no, no. They broke up when I was like three, quite young. Ah, okay, cool. Kind of makes sense, right? Yes. But you've got a good taste of both worlds. hundred percent. Yes. Yep. Definitely. Okay. And do you think that's, a, do you think that has like been a really good thing for you to be like as an athlete, the drive, the commitment, but then also the relaxed approach more from your dad. Has that been beneficial for you? Um, it was a big learning curve. And I think at a young age, I, I had to grow up quite quickly going between two houses and having such different discipline in each house. Mm -hmm. And so I could switch on and be quite disciplined at home with mum, but then I could also be relaxed with my dad. So I think that in a way, it probably has benefited me becoming when I'm getting older because I can switch on and be quite disciplined, but I also can go into that quite relaxed mode as well. Can I ask, because I know this happens for a lot of people and when I coach a lot of people, they, a lot of people are scared to break up a relationship because they're worried about the child. I mean, you turned out all right. 
<laughs> so what how was their breakup i mean you were three but how was it for them how are they now are they good friends or is it you know where's that at because i that this will give a lot of people that are potentially in a toxic relationship and i, I don't use that lightly or, or a relationship that's not serving each other but they stay in it for their kids how how did you find it's affected you look i think it's important that both parents are on the same page when it comes to parenting and discipline and, you know, keeping the same kind of rules between the two. So you're not getting a split personality almost, but I didn't, I don't remember it, but they fought like crazy quite while I was young. And I think it was best that they broke up because otherwise you would be exposed to a relationship that is just full of anger against each other rather than, seeing like loving um, relationships, even if it isn't with your biological dad and mm. or stepdad, you know. Um, but I, like I said, it can be person pendant. And if both parents aren't on the same page, then I can see where the drama is. So your parents were on the same page? Yes, they, they were on the same page. Uh, mum, mum's probably been a bit more supportive the whole time. And I used to get quite frustrated with my dad for kind of not being there, but I came to realise that it's... I don't think that he realises that he's not being there. Like, he's quite unaware about, of it. Ah, interesting, yeah. So, I, yeah, so I stopped kind of holding it against him for not showing up to things, not picking me up from school. Like, he's got his own life and he's got his own work. Um, That's a powerful lesson, Georgia, because a lot of people would hold resentment there. And obviously, through my coaching, what you just did is you you ultimately allowed yourself to be free from his behavior because like you said, everybody's got their own life to live and holding it against him is only hurting you. Exactly. And Weird. for a very long time, I did that. I would get, I'd hang up from the phone from him and I'd just cry and I'd just be like, why, why are you not here? What, what is it? And it's not me. It's, he's got his own wolves and his own dragons that he's got to slay. You know, it's not, it's not my fault, so. How old were you when you figured that out? Twenty-one. Mm, and you're twenty-five now. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you still, yeah, you were going to say something. I still, at times, my ego, I would say, gets in the way a little bit, and I get a little bit upset occasionally. But then I'll remember and be like, "Look, I know it's not me because I'm being the best version I can be of myself." and if you're like, you don't have to put me first in your life. I'm not going to put you first in my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so you grew up, you had these, there's two different parents, but you were, you, you're like, I know your personality and it, you took the sporty side. You didn't take the drink beers side, like more so. I did. And then I changed. Okay. <laughs> so what happened there? So... I would say I would, in year 12. Because there um, are going to be a lot of people listening that have taken the beer side. I was one. I took the beer side and yeah. changed. And uh, so let's dive into that and, and how you changed, how that came about. So probably oh, 2011, I was in 2010 through to 2012. What age? So you would have been I would have been 15. 16, 17, 18, mm -hmm. 19, 16, 17, 18, between then. Um, I was skipping school, going out drinking, fake ID. Um, like I played sports still, 
But I took my sports still more seriously than I took my schooling. Mm-hmm. And I, um, <clears throat> like, <laughs> was getting, I was getting so drunk on weekends that I lied to my mum and I was like, oh, I have food poisoning, but I really had alcohol poisoning. Do you think she knew? Pardon? Do you think she knew? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I swear mums have like this wisdom. <laughs> she probably knew. I was going out late, sneaking out at night, you know, like very disobedient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so I think that's pretty, like, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's pretty normal for kids our age, you know, in the countries that we grew up in, New Zealand, Australia, there's a big drinking culture. I, I think that's pretty normal. It is. It is, I think. Um, and I think it teaches you a lot of, like, street wisdom as well. Mm, definitely. So, but I also think you get over it quite quick, like, quite quickly as well, rather than being in America where they don't start drinking until later. And so they kind of go through that phase from 18 to like 24 rather than yeah. younger. I hear you. Yeah. That's kind of like what I experienced. Like, that's what I kind of noticed when I went over there because in Australia I was 18, I was um, legal age, but over there I was like 19 and there was still, I wasn't allowed to go out anymore, but I could tell the maturity level difference between the two. That's, that's it. And we could dive into that whole other topic. It's the same as New Zealand. We get our driver's license before Australia. And I truly believe we can teach kids stuff way younger than we do. But because of society's sort of values and the way it's been dictated, I, like I think we can create super kids. But that's another topic. Oh, I 100% agree. Like the plasticity in a child's brain at, in their developmental years is insane. And I'm lucky that my mum put me in sport when I was a kid, but I wish that I learnt like six different languages. That's <laughs> the like, time to learn if you are going to learn. I did a post on my social media the other day and it, it was this girl, she would have been about three years old, Chinese girl, and she was playing the piano. And she was playing like incredibly. I saw that. I saw yeah. that. And I commented oh, and I oh, said. Is it alpha wave state or like where the brain's in so like theta brainwave is the hypno hypno brainwave pretty much you just like absorption (laughs) so there's no output it's all just whatever you perceive you believe is true and it gets hardwired in there so i asked as well as like do you think you know during between about two and six years old during that theta brainwave stage of development is it wrong or right to like hypnotize the our kids into being superhuman i said is it like hell yes or is it child abuse and most people like hell yeah because you're you're doing it anyway right well if you think about like when i like let's say let's go use my kind of growing up as an example having had one person as a driver and showing me commitment dedication discipline and then the other like relaxed not really disciplined and not a real big driver how I was exposed to both of those and possibly could have had the wrong taken the wrong route and really just kept myself in a relaxed life not pushing the barriers of physical mental limits you know and your the way that you shape your beliefs and values about yourself is so driven in that stage too so I, I can't imagine if I, like it's, I had to go on this big self-learning journey 
me and if I wasn't asking questions of why things work that, the way they do, then people would never know why they're like they are now. Totally. Yeah. And so we're obviously on the same page here. We love mindset, how people turn into who they are and then what they can do about changing who they are. So how did you change? How did you go from this booze hag 19 year old to, oh. um, to like cutting that out and becoming really focused in on your sport and playing sport at a high level? I always, from like, like I said, always from a young age, I dreamt of being a professional athlete, but I, I felt like it wasn't possible anymore once I got past year 12. And it was lucky that I had osteopathy. Like I love being an osteopath and I love helping people. But it was when I found rugby and I realised, oh, I'm actually good at this. Like I could probably do something with this. And so once I realised that, I was like, wow, maybe I should really kick into gear here and start training harder. But it wouldn't have been until I went over to America and I got that college scholarship to play um, that I would have real that I realized this also I find that what I saw over there with the American athletes the college players like they're all very disciplined uh, there's so this is kind of my take on it there's so many athletes there trying to make it and the one percent that do make it have to be very disciplined unless you're an, an athletic freak you know mm-hmm. <laughs> And seeing what they were like compared to what Australians were like, I was like, wow, like I need to take a note from this book and I need to use this discipline to become a better player. And it was also from getting setbacks, like not getting picked in teams. And I'm very competitive from not just, not just about everyone else, but for me, like it's me versus me, even though sometimes I can get confused and I'm trying to beat other people, but I'm... <laughs> Okay. I'm just competitive. I'm winning. I'm the same, you know. <laughs> I think I think competition is a is a healthy value to have, and even if it is against other people, the problem comes when the intent's not right. Like if it's a sports match, fuck yeah, you want to beat the other person. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's just me. Um, the problem comes when it's when it's when you take it too far and you and you maybe lack empathy off of the field because you just want to beat everyone yes that as well as if you want to win something so badly sometimes you almost miss the point of the process because you're so focused on the win or the goal you know you don't actually take the steps that you need to get there and that's something that I've fallen to a few times so yeah um but have you read that book the obstacle is the way by holiday I have not you should read it you'd like it but he, this book really resonated with me because if it wasn't for my setbacks, my failures, I wouldn't be who I am now. If it wasn't for not getting picked in teams, coming last in fitness, middle of the pack, I wouldn't have had that burning desire to be like, I need to change. Something needs to change so I can get better. So having so, all because like America's quite far ahead in regards to everything even in business I know a lot of people in Australia will go over there they'll look at what they're doing in America and they bring ideas back here and so yeah. it sounds like you did the same in your sport you went wow this is this is this was out of my awareness now I've seen what they're doing what's possible like I can't unsee that I'm going to put it into practice and yes. so so what did your what does your sporting career look like since then back here in Australia so once I got back from America, 
<laughs> Literally my first tournament back, I broke my leg. So I broke my leg, had mismanagement for it. Instead of six weeks, it took 12 weeks. So I had a little bit of a bumpy start coming back. Got back into playing, then tore my meniscus in my knee, had knee surgery, so it was out a bit longer. And then I finally got back kind of onto the level of, I was like invitational women's elite standard rather than, let's say, um, I've, I've never played Australian national level, but I've played the one level below that in Australia. And I've played in elite divisions in different sevens tournaments around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done that since being back and since getting my, um, body right again. And now moved from rugby playing in the super W, which was, um, like I said, the level below national standard into, I'm um, sorry, international standard into now playing rugby league. My first season of league. Yeah. So I know that you almost made the Australian side. Yes, very close for 15s. Yeah, so rugby full, not rugby sevens, rugby 15s. Yes. What do you mean by close? How close? (laughs) My name was on the whiteboard. I was one position, like one spot away, essentially. It was after last last season, um, after the Sub W last season, in, they put out like an Australian development squad where they pick a certain amount of girls and then they cut that for, they'll take a team away for travel, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so in the position that I was playing, I was on the whiteboard under one person. Obviously, if someone had been injured, anything happened, I could have been playing whatever, you know. What could you have done differently to make to have been in that team? Looking back in hindsight... Because hindsight's great, but I think if you can share it now, someone else doesn't have to go through missing out. What could I have done differently? It was almost like I chose... In my mind, I I went down to a team where I knew that I was going to get a lot of playing time. But the team that I chose to go down to, not that they have bad plays, but as a team, they're still growing and didn't have the same standard as the top two teams, right? So although I was exposed to a lot of playing time individually, but having not had high quality playing around me, I feel like that was a part of it. Probably as well, what hindered my performance was the amount of pressure I put on myself because I was like... I want to make the Australian team, I want to make the Australian team. So before games, I would like, some some games was fi- were fine and I wouldn't even psych myself out. Other games I would negatively visualise dropping balls, negatively visualise missing tackles. Wow. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably not good. No. <laughs> but it's, for some so, reason, when you uh, really want something, you put more pressure on yourself because you want it so bad. Chasing the rabbit. Yeah. The rabbit just keeps running away. (laughs) The damn rabbit. Happens with money, happens in relationships. Like, or, you know, if you're attracted to someone, the more you chase it, the more they're like repelled by it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, And so I'm curious, you got that close and 
You were going to say something. There's a good um, metaphor. Quote, but have you read Man's Search for Meaning? I have. The more you aim at success, the more you miss it. The more you pursue happiness, the more you won't have it kind of thing. So <laughs> Totally. It's totally you, right. You know, you've got to enjoy the process and it's got to be for a reason bigger than yourself. It, and I, I was just trying to do it to prove a point and I wasn't doing it for enjoying it anymore. So I think that was a big... Oh, this, this is so common for athletes. I trained in a... In a uh, another girl, professional footballer, and um, exactly the same. Lost enjoyment because of the pressure and didn't make it and then upped the self-pressure and that just makes things worse, right? So here, here's my question. You, you were so close. Why have you changed from rugby now to rugby league? I had such a negative experience with it that I was like, I just need a break. Needed a break. So I stopped and I play, I started jujitsu and it wasn't until I started jujitsu and I had that, have you heard that Zen meaning that is like Soshi, Soshin? It's like the beginner's mind where you know absolutely nothing and you have no preconceptions about anything and you just go in and that's what I got with jujitsu. Yeah. Like I knew nothing and I was like excited to learn, excited to train again. I was like, this is fun. I don't know why I put so much pressure on myself with rugby. And then having found jujitsu like this, I was like, maybe I can play sport again. It's not the end of my sporting career. <laughs> yeah, you're, what, you're young. I mean, what's an Australian rugby player's, what's the age where they peak? Mm, well, the average age of the Wallaroos was about, I think, 27 or 28. But I think because I was like, I need to make it this year, this year, now, 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 like I put a time limit on myself and that pressure again, it's like, oh, you didn't make it. Now you're 24. So you're probably not going to make it. And I kept like saying that to myself. I'm like, well, why would I do that? But so what, um, yes. what does the future look like for you athletically? Well, at the starting league in who, when did I? league in February mm -hmm. one of the girls I wasn't going to play I was just going to do jujitsu and one of the girls was like come down to training you'll enjoy it and kept in my ear come down to training you really enjoy it <laughs> and I was like she's like you you suit league you're gonna love it and I kept like putting it off putting it off she messaged me and I was like fine I'll come <laughs> I'll come down to training and as soon as I went, it was similar feeling to jiu-jitsu. I was yeah. like, this is epic. I've been missing out. This suits me. I had no pressure. Just loved it. And from the beginning, I just felt like we meshed. Mm -hmm. And it felt very natural. I'm enjoying it. Kind of more like in a flow state with it. Like I'm not pressuring. I'm just going out there and having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's that doing for your results-wise? Well, <laughs> crazy. Like, originally, he, the coach, I feel like, was unsure if he was going to give me a contract. And then we play. he played me on the wing for our first game, like our first trial game for the half. And I was like, I'm not a winger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not a winger. I'm not that fast. Yeah. It's a weird position to defend at, and it is not me. Um, yeah. And then... He put me into edge back row, which is a bit more 
on the inside of the field. Yeah. And I'm a grinder. I'm someone that just enjoys running around, tackling people, get up, go again. So that position for me suited me so well. And as soon as I went in there, I was like, this feels natural. And I just started lining girls up. Like, <laughs> I'm going to take you down. You know, how many, uh, so many of my teammates after that game were like, oh my God. She's a beast. I didn't realize that you hit that hard. <laughs> They're all like, geez, I didn't even need to help you for the tackles. You just do it by yourself. And that, it was because I was just out there. I've made so many tackles in my life that I don't need to continually like think, oh, what do I got to do next? It's just natural. Yeah. So I was just enjoying the moment. Tackle. There are so many golden lessons in that about one, enjoying what you do, even for people that work nine to five, like you have to enjoy what you do. The other thing is like, make sure you're in the right position. If you are trying to play in a position that's not aligned to you, if you're trying to work in a role at work, that's not aligned to you, you're not going to be at your potential. You're not going to soar and skyrocket. And the last thing is, is like you said, just, just doing something that you love over and over again, you get really good at it. <laughs> really good at it. And when you don't have to think about it anymore, like you said, and you're really good at it, that's when you start to become like world class. Yes, exactly. I and I just felt like as soon as I went there, I was like, oh, this just feels natural straight away. Whereas on the wing, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and then like we went back to training. Training was good. The coach gave me really good feedback. This was after the first game and then we played our, like I debuted in our first actual game. Mm -hmm. We played against the winners of last year's comp and I didn't go out there really nervous. I was just excited. Like all the girl, a few of the girls were saying, oh, geez, I'm nervous. I'm a little bit um, anxious kind of thing. And I was like, no, don't be, this is good. It's our first game. Mind you, it was pouring and raining and windy as, and I'm like, yes, stoked to be here. Don't really care about the weather because I can't control that. And I just went out there and I was like having fun really loud with communication. Um, didn't, I wasn't thinking at all. Oh, I want to be man of the match. I want to play my best game or anything. All I was thinking about my role was, making good tackles, running hard and doing my best for the team. And mind you, I did a rugby placement in the game. <laughs> what do you mean? I literally placed the ball like you would in a rugby union game, oh. in the rugby league game. <laughs> when I was getting, when I was really tired and the girls were like, don't worry, she's just, she's a union player. She doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then um, we won we won the game, which was really cool because we beat last year's winners. And then after the game, the coach was, oh, play of the match. Then he goes, Georgia. And I was like, me? I was like, what? <laughs> me? <laughs> after I had a knock on and I placed the ball like a rugby player. So I was like, what? <laughs> and I was just confused. <laughs> and, you know, for so long in Union, I had wanted to be the player of the match and be the best there. But for, I just took, a, I didn't even think about that in this, you mm. know, and I made it like that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I've done two podcasts today. So the second one, another 25 year old girl. And um, she did the same thing. She's like, you know what? As soon as I let go of the idea of it, it happened. 
she said like within within seconds talking about meditating and, and trying to get to a certain level of meditation and as soon as she said oh I like I, I quit I surrender boom she hit that frequency in her meditation and so it's again another powerful lesson for people the whole the more we try to hold on to things <laughs> the more we we it runs away and you miss it so like after all of these lessons experiences well how long ago was that game that was middle of march just got like middle okay. of march not long ago so like the georgia that's in front of me now that everyone else is listening to what if you could pass on wisdom to, to someone starting their rugby career or sporting career or someone just a bit younger what would be like three to five nuggets of wisdom you would share with them from your lessons number one would probably be always be the hardest worker in the room yep <laughs> number two set intentions and process put processes in place so that you can get to those intentions rather than i want to play for australia and make it like yes i think goals are good but i think intentions are almost better than what's the difference setting your intention is like planning for like this is where i'm aiming to go but if I de don't get there, I need to have enjoyed my process and whatever outcome it is, it doesn't affect me. It's not going to change my life. I'm not going to really be set back by it. Mm -hmm. So you know your direction, and, but the actual outcome, <clears throat> you can take any kind of path to get there. Don't be so rigid on yes. how you get there. Yes. But obviously you need processes put in place to make you the best player that you can be or the best person that you can be. And you need to be training your mindset as much as you would train your physical body. You need to be doing all the right recovery. You need to be doing everything right by you as an athlete. Mm -hmm. But don't be so rigid. In Yeah, rigid, great word. Don't be so rigid and still enjoy life and enjoy what you're doing. And it's people are always like, oh, what, you're missing out on drinking. Like, isn't that a sacrifice? And it's like, you're not really making sacrifices if it's something that you love. So, yeah. So that's yeah. two. First two. one was be the hardest worker in the room. Second one was have, have intentions have and intentions. processes. Yeah. Three. Hmm. What else? Would I? Tell someone. <laughs> mm, this is hard. <laughs> um, let me have a little think for a second. You know, you're not just the sport that you play. Like, I'm an osteopath. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. So don't just lose your identity and think you're just that athlete because you are so many more things than just that as well. Mm-hmm. How's that affected you, knowing that? Because when you have something that gets taken away from you, let's say I had, uh, when I broke my leg, I was in such a downward spiral because I was like, who am I without rugby? I'm like, That's am a I a rugby? question. Pardon? 
That's a great question. And people can say it with anything, like who am I without my career? Who am I without, um, you know what the best to ask is like, who am I without my name? Like this identity, who am I behind all of it? Who am I without my money? Who am I without my relationship? <laughs> yeah. Right, carry on. They're all exactly. great questions. No, no, no. You're so right. That's exactly right. And that's why I think it's like, as an athlete, you can't just lay, like, you're not just a rugby player or you're not just a track runner. You are so much more than that. So. Yep. Yep. So that's three. Do you want any more? <laughs> There's no point doing anything half-heartedly, so make sure you do it with a full heart. <laughs> and so how does that... Um, how does that affect the balance of your life? It's a juggle. <laughs> T teach us. Teach us. <laughs> well, like, whoa, that's like... I just spilled my water. That's, um, that's something that I've been learning over the years is how to time manage probably suits your amplified growth because you have the nine to five jobs. So how do you manage doing things that you love outside of that, which is possible, but you just have to be very specific with timing and putting processes in place so that you can get your things done. Otherwise what happens is you feel anxious because you haven't done what you need to do necessary to get you where you need to go. So all of your pretty, pretty much go all in hundred percent, but there are still things you need to do that maybe aren't completely in alignment with it and you just balance them out. And then when you get the opportunity, you go handy. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard because I wish that I could lit I wish that I could just do rugby league and I wouldn't have to do osteo at the same time. Like I wish I could just do one thing, but of course. That's a luxury and not many people have that luxury. Yeah, exactly. And I understand the society that we live in and we have to work and we have to do what we have to do to get through. But I suppose when you're that's doing when osteo, do you dream about rugby? Pardon? When you're doing osteo, do you dream about rugby? I dream about training. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just remember it from bodybuilding. Even my, my poor, like, ex-girlfriend ex, ex at nighttime, I would just be lying in bed and all I would be dreaming about the next day was training. She's like, what are you doing? I'm just like, oh, I'm just dreaming about the gym. <laughs> but even now when I drive my car, I'm like, I'm a, I think I'm a good driver, but I'm just manifesting in my mind the magic of the potential future and... I think there is, I think there is like secret time, hidden time where we can focus our energy and our mindset training on, you know, even if we're short on physical time to go to the gym or physical time, there's like these extra hidden pockets of time when we can just be dreaming about freaking becoming the best athlete possible or whatever it is. I always do it. I always do it. <laughs> You know how you don't notice when you get in the car, you're like, oh shit, I just drove an hour. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I was just in another dimension. Thinking about all of the things I want to do. But I think as well, like if it's not as conventional to leave your job and just like 
not earn much money and train, but that's what Conor McGregor did, you know? Honestly, I think that's where greatness comes from. Mm. Uh, Nobody has an excuse not to be great. Nobody has an excuse not to be world-class because there's evidence out there. Like you just said, I didn't know that about Conor, but it makes sense. Like if you go all in, um, I, I see a lot of people, especially coaching people in business as well. And they want to go all in in their business, but they also are so scared they hold on to their job. Whereas I get it. I totally get it. And I wouldn't push someone to do it any other way. But, I, but then I meet someone who's like, no, fuck my job. I'm going all in. <laughs> Boom. And I'm like, well, you're going to make it. Like you've got what it takes. Well, that's, that's what I would lo- like. That's kind of what I want to do, you know? <laughs> I just want to be like, sick of my responsibilities. I just want to train. That's it. <laughs> Look, I think you can make it happen, Georgia. And I don't know how, and I don't think you need to know how, but all I know is when the why is strong enough. In fact, this is a quote from, I think, Les Brown. When your why is strong enough, you don't need a how. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And so, yeah, I mean, happy to chat to you outside of the podcast. Well, but <laughs> do, do some intention setting, some serious future planning. And look, I, I just want to see you and everyone else fly. Yeah. So you that's know, the what, same with me. That's what I try to instill in other people too, you know. So you've got one other bit of wisdom to share if you want it. Number one five. other bit of wisdom. Mm. I have so much, so you know, you just have so much, so you just can't like get That's why I love it being five, because you've got to be really specific. Okay. Another bit of wisdom. Last one, don't waste it. (laughs) Just a reminder that your brain is always making decisions really without you knowing about it, and it's constantly playing tricks on you. So you have to be conscious in making decisions and following through because as soon as you're you start getting in a pushback as soon as you start getting making excuses for things that means you're about to grow so don't forget that your brain is holding you back in a way and it is capable of a lot more than what it is right now and that goes for fitness as well not only like if you're training and you find that you start to get puffed and then you just give up that's your brain just giving out on you it's like "Mm, this is too hard now even though like you know how cars have that burst speedometer where they go up to like 250 or whatever but really they go to probably like 320 (laughs) that's a pretty fast car but yeah but you know like you know what i mean (laughs) let's say like 150 and then 230 that's more realistic (laughs) yeah but that's the same as our bodies our bodies and brain are so much capable so much more capable of doing more than what they're letting us do. And I'm going to give you an extra little bit here, but what should people do about breaking through that limiter? Acknowledge the voice, that inner voice, but say, fuck you. (laughs) No, don't do that. (laughs) Acknowledge that your brain is there to keep you safe but we need to push the limits so that we become more resilient and that we can grow. So yeah. Just say fuck you. Yeah. Just say fuck <laughs> you. Right. 
Sweet. And Georgia, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? I do want to share your um, social media details because you're, you're always on there with your jujitsu or sports and your dog and other weird shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else? Like you've got a really engaged audience. I was very surprised with the engagement, but it's just because you're so awesome. So um, one, where can people find you? At Geo Page on Instagram. At G-E-O-P-A-G-E. Yes. Cool. And it's at Geo Page for all of my social medias, essentially. Okay. And I actually just started a website, georgiapage.com.au. So on there too. <laughs> cool. And that's for osteo or? That is going to be for a new thing that I'm about to start. Oh, hello. <laughs> okay. I think I know where it's going. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I've wanted to have one for a while and I was like, just get Geopage.com? Georgia Page. That one's Ooh. the Georgia Page. Everything else is Geo Page. That's Georgia Page. Georgia, G-E-O-R-G-I-A? Yep. P-A-G-E.com. Dot au because we're au. Someone already took dot com, which is annoying, but that's okay. Mofo. All right. Well, Georgia, it's been awesome having you here. And yeah, for everyone listening, if you have any questions for Georgia, you can hit me up. You can hit her up on socials. Um, reach out. I know she loves being in contact with everybody that has questions so she can help them out. Uh, and yeah, Georgia, once again, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>